At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day. is that his laws are set to bring us the most freedom and the deepest joy. That's what God's laws and rules do. When we obey God, when we follow God, that is where we find the most freedom and our deepest joy. This is the lie of the world, that if you ignore God, if you ignore the Bible, then that's where you find freedom, and that's where you find joy. But the opposite is true. When we follow God's ways, when we follow God's rules and laws, that's actually where we find the most freedom and the most joy. So often here's what happens. When we sin, we feel the effects of sin, and therefore we find sorrow. But that does not mean true repentance. It does not mean that you are ready to turn back to God. Here's an example. Um, Years ago, uh, my wife and I were sitting down and we were um, counseling a a woman who was in deep distress and anxiety. And her marriage was falling apart Um, because of all the tension in her home. Her child was acting out because of all of that tension. And as my wife and I counseled this woman, come to find out she was having an inappropriate relationship with a coworker. And that's what was causing all the tension in her home. And so our counsel was quit your job, repent to your husband, and get into marriage counseling. But she refused. She refused to let go of that relationship and ultimately they were divorced. So all of her anxiety, all of her depression, um, everything that she was experiencing was a result of the sin in her life. And she came in to, to get counseling from the, the pastor and his wife and wanted to know what to do. And we told her what to do, but she refused to do it. That's because she felt worldly sorrow, but was not truly repentant. In, in the same way, um, the, the pastors of this church, I mean, we, we've counseled um, many men uh, who have been uh, just entrenched in addictions, such as addictions to drugs and alcohol or pornography or things like that. And, and it's, it's tearing them apart. It's tearing their families apart. And we say, okay, get rid of all access to those things. And they are unwilling to do that. Why? Because they're experiencing worldly sorrow without actually experiencing true repentance. Again, as my, my years uh, and years as a youth pastor showed me this time and time again, as parents would come in with their teenagers saying, here, fix my kid. And I, I can't fix your kid. It's not my job to fix your kid. But here's what you can do. You can discipline them and insist that they walk in the ways of the Lord. But oftentimes parents refuse to do that and they're We're experiencing worldly sorrow without actually experiencing true repentance. 
And I'm sure many of you have experienced this exact same thing as you've talked with friends and family whom they're laying out their problems, whether it be financial or relational, and you can see the clear explanation of why they're experiencing that, okay? And you tell them, hey, stop doing that, and then they don't stop doing that. Anyone ever been in that situation before? You can see that the pathway that they're walking is what is bringing them pain. You explain to them, hey, stop walking down this road, and they continue to walk down that road. Why? Because they're experiencing worldly sorrow without experiencing true repentance. Now, I don't just have stories about other people. Sadly, I myself have experienced this many, many times. I've been distraught, depressed, distressed because of the mess that I created. I too have felt the pain of my personal pride, my drive for success, and my desire to be praised by others, and especially my colleagues, and it has brought much pain into my life, yet on many of those occasions, I was not truly repentant. Now again, we we do not sugarcoat things at Gospel Community Church, and so if you're here looking for a perfect pastor or one who pretends to be, uh, I think you'll be um, sad. (laughs) So what we see here at the beginning of our text is this statement from Samuel in verse 3. He says, and Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with your whole heart, that's an if, if you are doing this, if you're actually repentant, if you're actually returning to the Lord, not just experiencing worldly sorrow, but if you're truly repentant, there's a, there's a big if in this text. Samuel is saying, are you just feeling worldly sorrow over your sin, or are you really ready to turn to the Lord? Basically, are you ready to get rid of your idols? This sermon, this text this morning, is about us examining the idols in our lives, repenting to the Lord, and turning back to Him. This sermon, this text this morning, has a sting to it. Happy Mother's Day. But that is what is in the text. These people are worshiping idols, and Samuel is saying, okay, if you're really repentant, if you're really ready to turn away from those idols, then here's what you need to do. And he explains to them uh, about true repentance. And so my hope today is that the people of Gospel Community Church would put away our idols and direct our hearts to the Lord, that there would not just be worldly sorrow, but true repentance. The sermon today is a call to return to Jesus. So if if you have been in and around the church, yet you are far from the Lord today because you have strayed away from Him and are looking to other gods, looking to other things to find uh, your hope, your meaning, your purpose, your joy. If you have strayed away, the call from the text today is to return to Jesus, return to the Lord, return to what is true and right This is what Samuel is calling the people of Israel to today. If you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 7, if you have been traveling through this text with us, um, we've discovered that the book is called 1 Samuel. So the book should be all about Samuel. (laughs) Yet, uh, over the past several chapters, uh, look at verse uh, chapter 4, verse 1. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. From that point on, we hear nothing about Samuel in the rest of chapter 4. 
We don't hear anything about Samuel in all of chapter 5, and not a peep about Samuel in chapter 6. And the book is called 1 Samuel, and there's nothing about Samuel. So what's happening here? Well, the nation has been ignoring Samuel. They've been ignoring the priest. They've been ignoring God. We saw Samuel as a little boy. We saw Samuel grow up. We saw Samuel's call to the Lord. We saw him basically functioning as the priest. And then from that point on, we don't hear anything about him. And the entire nation is in crisis, to say the least, and they are not looking to God. They're, they're getting slaughtered. They're getting killed. The nation is in a terrible, terrible state, yet they are ignoring Samuel, and therefore they are ignoring the voice of God, and therefore they are ignoring God himself. Look at verse 1 in chapter 7. And the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eleazar to have charge over the ark of the Lord. From that day, the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim a long time past, some 20 years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Now, Kiriath-Jerim is a small, insignificant border town. And by virtue of bringing the ark there, it doesn't become significant. Meaning when they took the ark there, the, like the whole nation didn't say, hey, we should now start going to Kiriath-Jerim and worship there because that's where the ark is. That's where the presence of God is. That's where the glory of God is. That's where the blessings of God is. So we should probably go there and worship. They don't do that. In addition, the, these guys that we meet here, Abinadab, and his son, Eleazar, we don't know anything about them other than what's written in the text. They live on a hill. Okay, that's interesting. Abinadab on the hill, and they consecrated his son, Eleazar. We're assuming that they're Levites. I mean, that's an assumption because you had to be a Levite to handle the ark and take care of it. But really, other than that, we really don't know much of anything. What is significant about this is that from the day, I'm looking at verse 2, from the day the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed. How long? Some 20 years. So what is most significant is that the ark was there for 20 years. They took the ark and they put it in cold storage. They took the ark and hid it away so that they wouldn't have to see it, so they wouldn't have to talk about it, so they wouldn't have to hear about it. They got it as far away from themselves as they possibly could. They decided to live their lives their own way. They decided to say, I don't care what the Bible has to say. I don't care what God has to say. I don't care that God says that we should live this way, do these things. I want to live my own way, make my own path, be my own captain, uh, you know, set my own course. That, that's what we want to do. And so that's what they did. They got rid of the ark. They ignored the promises of God. They ignored the blessings of God and decided to do it their own way. What we've seen is, God hasn't given them what they wanted, meaning victory over the Philistines, uh, making them rich and prosperous and meeting you know, all of their uh, wants. God hasn't given them what they wanted, and so they decide to ignore him. Now, I know all of you are pillars of maturity, and you have never decided to ignore someone because they didn't give you what you wanted. But that's exactly what... Israel decides to do. They decide to ignore God, and they do so for 20 years. 
I wonder if you've ever ignored God. Maybe for a day. He didn't give you what you wanted. He, you prayed for something and it didn't happen. You asked God for something, he didn't give it to you. You wanted a certain situation to work out in a particular way and it didn't. Therefore, you get mad at God and so you ignore him. This is the story of many people. They ignore him for a day. That day turns into weeks. Weeks turn into months. Months turn into years. This nation ignored God for 20 years. Here is what is key to understanding this section of the text. It's not that they lamented after the Lord for 20 years, but after 20 years, they then lamented to the Lord. From that day, the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim a long time. Some 20 years passed, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. So after 20 years had passed, they lamented and cried out to God or felt the weight of their worldly sorrows and then decided to turn to God. So, so what's been going on for 20 years? They, they decided to ignore God. Let's hide the ark over in Kiriath-Jerim. We're going to ignore God for 20 years. So what's the nation been doing? I mean, that's the, we just did a big time jump here. What's been happening in the nation. Well, it doesn't tell us um, explicitly what's happened, but look at the end of verse three. Uh, it says, direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So the prom- we're going to get to that in just a minute, but the promise is if they do this thing, then they'll be delivered out of the hands of Philistines, which means for 20 years, guess where they've been? In the hands of the Philistines. That's what's been going on for the last 20 years, meaning they are getting exploited. They are getting killed. They are getting subjugated. That's what's been happening in the nation for 20 years. Now, let me tell you about the two years I tried to ignore God. The two years I tried to ignore God, he systematically removed every pillar that I raised to try to build my life apart from him. That's what happened to me. I walked away from ministry. I walked away from the church. I said, I don't want anything to do with it. And I went on my my own way for two years. And what God did in those two years is every pillar that I tried to set up to say, I'm going to build my life apart from God. I'm going to ignore him. I would set that pillar up and God would come in and go, huh, and knock it over. And listen, listen. That was the most loving thing that he could have ever done. A loving father takes things away from his children that are dangerous to them. That's what a loving father does. If your child is playing, you know, with dangerous objects, you take them away because you don't want them to get hurt. That's exactly what you do. And so as I was trying to build my life apart from God, he continued to knock down the pillars that I had built up in love. It was the most gracious and loving thing that God could have done. God says, oh, you're thinking you're going to build your own life that way? Nope. That's bad for you. It's going to hurt you. So I will take that away. God says to the nation of Israel, essentially here, oh, you want to build your own military might? Nope. Oh, you want to build your own success, your own power? Nope. Just like a loving father, he takes away the things that are bad for you. If you're taking notes, oftentimes when your life blows up, when things fall apart, God is systematically removing things from you so you will return to him. 
If you find yourself in that place this morning where your life is blown up, where your life is falling apart, where you're, you're just constantly running into these pain points, it very well could be God is systematically taking things away from you so that not, not because he's mean, not because he's grumpy, not because he's like, I sure would like for you to pay some attention to me. That's not the heart of God at all. He's taking things away from you because they're painful to you. They will bring harm to you. He wants to show you your utter dependence on him. And so this is why God does these things. So the nation of Israel, the house of Israel, lamented after the Lord. They began to realize that ignoring God causes them pain. I'm telling you this morning, listen to me. I've experienced in my own life, I've met and counseled with hundreds of people, hundreds of people, and I've seen it played out time and time again. When you ignore the Lord, it will bring pain in your life. Learn from the nation of Israel. Avoid this pain of ignoring God. They lamented. They lamented. They're sorrowful. Now, as we read verses 3 and 4, the question is, are they going to be willing to do the work? Are they just feeling pain? We're in the hands of the Philistines. They're killing us. They're exploiting us. They're subjugating us. Are they just feeling the pain? Or are they now going to take that step to actually get right with God? That's the question. Verse 3, And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with your whole heart, with your whole heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. This begins with Samuel saying, okay, they've ignored God. They had this track record of 20 years ignoring God, not listening to him. And now all of a sudden they're on his doorstep saying, oh, would you help us, Samuel? Okay, I, I will help you. But listen, if, this is an if, nation of Israel. This is an if for us, Gospel Community Church. If you are willing, if you are really returning to the Lord with your whole heart, now here is the next step. Here is the thing that you must do. Again, write this down. Worldly sorrow is not the same as true repentance. Worldly sorrow is not the same as true repentance. Samuel is giving the if. If you really are returning to the Lord... What this tells us is that the people had not been giving their hearts to the Lord. Do you see that? If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart. So returning to the Lord doesn't just mean getting back in church. You know, my marriage is a wreck. I, I guess we ought to go on down there and go to church. You know, f my finances are in a really bad place. I... I guess I better read the Bible. It, it's not just getting back into religious activities. D don't you see? He's calling them to a heart change, not just religious activity. My life is blown up. Let's get into religious activity. Maybe it'll fix it. No. As a matter of fact, that's what has gotten them in such a terrible state. 
You remember they took, they, they carried the ark into battle thinking that God was going to show up, that God was going to do this thing for them without even praying to God, without seeking Samuel's counsel. They just did the religious activity hoping it would fix it. Absolutely not. Samuel here is calling them to a heart change. He is calling them to true worship. He is calling them to change their affections. Uh, <laughs> had an interesting conversation with a, a man this weekend who discovered that I was a, a pastor. We were standing there talking, and um, he, he asked me what I did, and, and I said, I'm, I'm a pastor. And his, uh, his response was really interesting. He said, oh, oh, that, that's nice. I have a lot of friends who are religious. <laughs> okay. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing what he meant from that was that he was not religious. That, that, I'm assuming that's what he meant. I, I didn't have time to, to really dig into that. But, but he, oh, you're a pastor. That, that's interesting. I have friends, not myself, but I have friends who are religious. Now, if I would have had the rest of the afternoon to sit down and talk with him, I would have loved to explain to him that humans are religious, period. He, he can't opt out of being religious, by nature, humans are religious. Or I'll say it another way, by nature, humans are worshipers. Humans worship, period. Uh, the, the atheist is a worshiper. <laughs> the atheist is religious. By nature, we all worship. And here's what I mean if you're taking notes. You worship what you give your affection to. This is what Samuel is calling them Two, he's saying, take your affections away from the Ashtaroth and the Baal and give your affection to God. You worship what you give your affection to. Okay, so how do I, so how do I now know what I'm giving my affection to? Well, we're answering it this way. You worship what you give your affection to, and what you give your affection to is what you give your time, talent, and treasure to. Okay. So what I'm saying is all humans are worshipers, period, paragraph. By, by our very nature, we are worshipers. Humans are religious. What are we worshiping? Well, we worship what it is that we give our affections to. Okay, so some of the men in the room who are, who are out of touch with our affections, here's how you know what you are affectionate about. You are affectionate about what you give your time, your talent, and your treasure to. Now, you might say, well, I spend my time at home. I give my talent to my work, and my money goes to groceries and my kids. Makes sense, right? Anybody? I mean, that's, that's kind of my situation, okay? Uh, my, I spend my time at home. I give my talent to my work, and my money goes to, my, to, goes to groceries and kids. So is that what I am worshiping? I'll answer it this way. It depends on why you go to work. Listen very carefully. Now what we're doing is we are now delving into or investigating the human heart, which is a very tricky place. You worship what you give your time, your talent, and your treasure to. And so, you, again, you might say, well, I give my time, my talent, my treasure basically to my work and my family. So am I worshiping my work and my family? Well, it depends on what your family is for and it depends on what your job is for in your heart. Is your family, does your family exist to glorify God? 
Are you building your family in such a way that it would glorify God? Then as you give your time to your family, you're giving your time to God. Make sense? What are you doing with your money? Right? As, as you build wealth, as you gain income, what are you doing with that income? Is it for you? Is it to build your own personal comfort? Is it to build your own personal kingdom? Are you just trying to get a bigger house, a, a bigger car, nicer clothes to impress people? If that's what it's for, then, then money is what you're worshiping. But there's a way to build wealth, to build income, and then leverage that to help and serve people and build the kingdom of God. And then now you're no longer worshiping money, you're worshiping God. But that comes down to what's happening in your heart. Again, we're talking about the affections of the heart. And this is murky territory. So as your pastor, I encourage you, listen to this, to do the hard work of figuring yourself out. Do the hard work of figuring yourself out. What do I mean? I mean, discover your true motives. Here's another way of, uh, of asking the question. Do you know why you do what you do? Now, we're getting real philosophical, and you guys are looking at me like I'm crazy, but think, think about this. Do you know why you do what you do? Do you know your motivations? Because that is what is coming out of your heart, which drives you to decide where you're going to spend your time, your talent, and your treasure. We must do the hard work of being still, of being quiet, of investigating the word of God, holding up the word of God as a mirror to ourselves. Why? So we can learn ourselves so that we can discover our motivations, okay, follow me, so that you can root out sinful motivations and input godly motivations. Are y'all with me this morning? Yeah. Yeah. People who are spiritually and emotionally healthy know why they do the things they do. Let me say that again. People who are spiritually healthy People who are emotionally healthy know why they do the things that they do. There are so many men in particular in the world, but there are so many men and women who go through life and they're, they're, they're just doing things without really understanding their motivations of why they're doing them. So much of it has to do with things we've experienced in our past. So much of it has to do with things that come from our family of origin. So much of it has to do with just the friends that are around us and the things that they're doing. Do the hard work of figuring yourself out. Do the hard work of discovering your heart's motivations. What Samuel is doing here is he's calling them to a heart change, to, a, to uh, change the affections of their heart. Essentially what he's saying is stop worshiping idols. Then he tells them to put away the foreign gods. They're, listen, repentance is an action step. It's not just feeling bad. Repentance is an action step. If you're truly returning to the Lord God with your heart, then put away the foreign gods. If this, if you're truly repentance, then this. What's the this? An action step of something that they must do. They must put away the foreign gods. If you're returning to the Lord with your whole heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth. Okay, uh, this is a Canaanite goddess, also known as Astarte. 
Now, the Ashtaroth is the plural form of Astarte, which, which likely means they had many forms or, or like uh, many images or many deities uh, of Astarte that they were bowing down to or worshiping. Now, what's interesting is in the Canaanite religious system, Astarte was the wife of Baal. So we've got a husband and wife team here. So uh, uh, the Ashtaroth and the Baal, the Ashtaroth is the, the female, she is the goddess, and Baal is uh, the male, and they are husband and wife in the Canaanite religious system, and they are the god of storms and the god of fertility. That is both uh, fertility of crops and the other fertility, the fertility of people. I won't go into great detail uh, about what was involved in their worship, but essentially they turned the temple into a brothel. Okay, because they were the storm gods and the fertility gods. And so this is the type of worship that Israel uh, is engaging in at this time. And so uh, what Samuel is saying to them is to put away the Asheroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you from the Philistines. He is calling them to direct their affections only to the Lord, to make everything that they do for and about the glory of God. He is directing them to an exclusive allegiance. Again, Christianity, listen to me, Christianity is exclusive, just like every other religion. Okay, Islam is exclusive. Christianity is exclusive. Buddhism is exclusive. Hinduism is exclusive. All of them make exclusive truth claims. And, and you can't say that all religions are the same. Anybody who says to me, all religions are the same, you know what that says to me? It says they have done zero research or zero study about what other religions teach. Christianity makes an exclusive claim just like all other world religions and all other systems. They're making an exclusive truth claim, okay? What he is saying is direct your affections or give your exclusive allegiance to the Lord. And so while Christianity is incredibly exclusive, meaning Jesus says that he's the only way, Christianity is also incredibly inclusive. Why? Because Jesus says anybody can come. Anyone. <laughs> Everyone is welcome into the kingdom of God. Anyone who, who says Jesus is Lord is welcome in the kingdom of God. Doesn't matter your race. Doesn't matter uh, what your background is. Doesn't matter how much money you make or how much money you don't make. Jesus says anybody can come. So he says, direct your affections to the Lord only. Give an exclusive allegiance to God. What we see here in this text is this. If you're taking notes, the two parts of true repentance are this. Turning of the heart's affections back to God and implementing steps to get rid of what drew you away from him. This, this is what he explains to them about repentance. Repentance is this twofold action. The first step is turning the heart's affections back to God and the second step is this, implementing steps to get rid of what drew you away from him. He tells them to turn your heart back and get rid of these other gods. This is what he tells them to do. For us, that would look something like, uh, uh, again, drawing near to the Lord in scripture reading and prayer. So this morning, if you're far away from God, if you need to return to Jesus, if you need to return, that would look something like getting alone with God. Getting, getting your cell phone put away, getting the laptop and Facebook put away, uh, no Twitter, no nothing, getting alone with God, 
communicating with him, spending time in prayer, spending time in scripture reading, getting your heart and affections reoriented back to God, and then taking steps, identifying what got me here. What pulled me away from God? What was that? Okay, so now I'm going to take steps to not be drawn back down that road. That's what Samuel is telling them to do. Now, while there is this two-part command, turn your heart's affections back to the Lord and implement steps not to go back down that way, get rid of these foreign gods, there is a promise attached to it. Listen to this. Serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So what do they need to do? Reorient their heart's affections. They need to get rid of the gods, other, other foreign gods. And what is the promise that's attached? Well, if you do these things, then God will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. That's the promise. That's what Samuel tells them God will do. Now, if you have been following along with us, you know that at this point in Israel's history, this is known as the time of the, anybody? Judges. Very good. You win Jeopardy. Bible Jeopardy, you get a gold star. Now, during this time, the people of Israel would chase after foreign gods. They would ignore God's rules. And so God would raise up another nation as judgment. And so while their earthly enemies were defeating them, it was really the hand of God's judgment. So what we're seeing here with the Philistines defeating Israel is, yes, they have an earthly enemy that is the Philistines. What's actually happening is God is disciplining his children in judgment. He is disciplining them in wrath. And so we could say it in another way. We could say, walk in true repentance and the judgment of God or the wrath of God or the punitive discipline of God will be lifted. Now, you guys don't look excited about this, but what's happening in the text is we have discovered the gospel, right? Turn to God in true repentance and the judgment of God or the wrath of God will be lifted from you. This is what God is calling all of us to, a heart of true repentance, a heart that is, is turned back towards him. And then the, the wrath of God or the judgment of God is lifted. It's lifted because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. This is good news. You see, the good news begins with bad news. The bad news is you're a sinner, right? Welcome to Gospel Community Church. We are a community of sinners, and we realize that about ourselves. So the good news begins with the bad news that we're sinners, that we failed God, that we have ignored him in so many ways. But the good news is he sent his son, Jesus Christ, in our place for our sins to die on the cross so that the wrath of God, the judgment of God, might be lifted from us so that we might know him, we might have relationship with him, we might be called sons of God, we might be called saints, we might be called holy and righteous even though we're sinners. That's the good news of the gospel. And so we find this gospel nutshell here in the Old Testament. Look at verse 4 because it's very, very exciting and so monumental in the life of these people. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. A monumental shift in the history of this nation. Verses 5 through 12, Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the Lord of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, 
Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. And Samuel was offering up the burnt offering. The Philistines drew near to attack Israel, but the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up at Mizpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now, the Lord has helped us. This monumental shift when the nation um, now has a mediator, Samuel prays for them. Samuel prays for them. The nation has a mediator. And I want you to know there is great power in someone praying for you. If you, if you don't think that this is significant now that the nation has someone praying for you, it's because you doubt the power of prayer. What they do then is they pour out water and they fast. What's the deal with the pouring out water and fasting? Well, they are denying themselves of the very things that bring life, right? I mean, I guess they could have also held their breaths, but that wouldn't have went very long. They poured out water. They gave up water and they gave up food, showing that God is more precious to us than life. That's what they're doing with these, with these acts. And it says that Samuel judged Israel. Now, um, they're using this word judged really not in a way that we would use it. We use that word like, I really feel like you're judging me right now. That's how we often use the word judge. This is more of Samuel being the spiritual leader of the nation. He, he judged them. He's ruling over them and directing them and their hearts back to the Lord. Now, as soon as all the people of Israel gather at Mizpah, the Philistines get a little nervous. Why? Well, because the Philistines had subjugated the Israelites. And so there they all gather. What do the Philistines think? They think we've got an uprising on our hands, that they're about to gather up and fight us. So we better go down there and do something. As a matter of fact, the Philistines had already gotten rid of all the Israelite blacksmiths. Why? Because they didn't want to make weapons. So the Philistines uh, all of a sudden show up. Now, when the Philistines heard the people of Israel gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. They're saying, no, 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 we can't let them gather. We've got to shut it down before this thing gets out of hand. Now, here's the big question. This is what is so vital in this text is what is the nation going to do? Okay, they've turned back to God. They've put away the foreign gods and they have began to serve God only. Everything's great. Everything's wonderful. Everything's peaceful. Well, now they're getting attacked. So what will they do? Essentially here in the text, the rubber has met the road. Here's the pattern that we often face, okay? We come back to the Lord, we repent, we take some steps so that we don't fall in that same trap, then life happens. You lose your job, i.e. the Philistines attack. You get in an argument with your spouse, the Philistines attack. When the pressure of life gets real, that's when we discover if we have true repentance. 
So the question is, are they going to stay faithful to God here or are they going to turn from him again? What's interesting is it says that they were afraid, meaning that their repentance has now brought them to this place of humility. And they asked Samuel, do not cease to cry out for us. This was a remarkably different response than the last time they went up against the Philistines. They charged in full of pride, headlong, thinking that, you know, everything was going to be fine. Yet they were defeated by the Philistines, and this time they are humble and they are seeking God in prayer. Look at what happened. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered the whole burnt offering to the Lord, and Samuel cried out to the Lord, listen to this, verse 9, end of verse 9, and the Lord answered him. If you're taking notes, when you draw near to the Lord with true repentance, he will never turn you away. This nation had ignored God for how long? 20 years. 20 years they ignored God, right? If I'm in that position, you ignore me for 20 years and you show up, hey, I'm really sorry. Like, no, I don't want to hear from you. Forget you. You ignored me for 20 years. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to see you. Go away. They came to God with true repentance, and though they had ignored him for 20 years, he did not turn them away. If you're here this morning, it doesn't matter where you've gone. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far away you've been. When we return to God with true repentance, he never, he never turns us away. And Samuel offered up the burnt offering. The Philistines drew near to attack. I'm in verse 10. But the Lord thundered, thundered. Okay, you got to get the joke here. Who are the gods of the storm? Ashtaroth and Baal. Ashtaroth and Baal are the gods of the storm. Yet these pagan deities are strangely quiet. And it's God who thunders. Right? God has a sense of humor, okay? When, when it comes time to defeat the Philistines, God's like, this is going to be funny. Check this out. <laughs> and a giant thunder, and they're all thrown into confusion. So the, the very gods, the gods of thunder that were supposed to be helping the Philistines are silent and do nothing, but the one true God comes in with a loud thunder and wins the battle and wins and wins the day. And they were defeated before Israel, and the men of Israel went out from Mizpah, pursued the Philistines, and struck them as far as below Beth Car. This is right in alignment with Hannah's prayer from 1 Samuel 2.10. Listen to this, what we read in 1 Samuel 2.10. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces against them. He will thunder in the heavens. Verse 12 says this, then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer. Called its name Ebenezer. Now, many of us have sang this hymn for years. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I come. We've, we've sang this hymn for many years, uh, yet never known exactly what it meant, right? Guilty. You know, I, I'm I was just standing there in church singing the words that they told me to sing. Uh, so here we find the meaning of what this idea of Ebenezer is. This was a monument. He sets up this stone. The, the God had defeated their enemies. God had been faithful to them. God had been good to them. And so a stone is set up there. Why? So that every time they see the stone, 
they're reminded of God's faithfulness. They're reminded that God had done this great thing for him, that God had shown up, that God had given them grace and mercy. It was, it was a stone. It was an object that helped them remember, right? Just like I have the word grace tattooed on my arm as an Ebenezer, that this is an Ebenezer that reminds me of God's grace. I, I have uh, a Bible that my parents gave me when we launched the church, and it, that Bible I preached all the way through the Gospel of John as we launched the church. And I still have that Bible, and it's very precious to me. It's an Ebenezer. It's a reminder that God was faithful to use his word and his preaching to launch Gospel Community Church. It's an, it's an Ebenezer. It's a reminder, and that's exactly what Samuel sets up here. But this stone of remembering was a two-edged sword. It wasn't just to remind them of the goodness of God, but it was also to remind them of something else. Now, do you remember where they were camped when they foolishly charged into battle? Do you remember where they were camped when they decided to take the ark into battle against the Philistines and the ark was taken from them? They were camped at Ebenezer. So not only when they look at the stone are they reminded of the goodness of God, but they are reminded of their foolishness. They are reminded of their sinfulness. Church family, this is why we take communion here every week. The communion table is an Ebenezer. The communion table is a place of remembrance. As we come forward, we're remembering the grace of God, the goodness of God for him to, to pour out his blood in our place for our sins. It's, it's a milestone of God's grace in our lives. And so we come to the table, but we are also reminded of why he had to do that. Why did God have to pour out his blood for us? Well, because we are sinners. And so it is a two-edged sword. So if you're taking notes, when we remember our past sin, we are reminded of the pain it caused, which becomes a tool to help us avoid it in the future. As we come forward to the communion table, as we come forward to this Ebenezer, we're reminding ourselves how good God is, how gracious God is, how loving God is, but we're also reminding ourselves that God had to do this because I'm a sinner and I need to walk in holiness. I need to walk in the ways of God. In addition, if you're taking notes, also when we remember our sin, we are reminded of his grace. We're reminded that his grace covers our sin. We're reminded that God's love and his shed blood on the cross is sufficient for us. Let's finish out the rest of this text, and then I will get out of your hair. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored. The cities that were taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath. And Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also with Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and he judged Israel in all those places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there. 
And there also he judged Israel, and he built there an altar to the Lord. Listen to this, church family. The power of God's grace, the power of his forgiveness, and the power of his love is not only powerful to forgive, but it's also powerful to restore. Meaning this, God can and does restore what has been broken by our sinfulness. It means this, and this is the best news that I'm going to tell you here on this Mother's Day. God can and does restore what has been broken by our stupidity. You ever done something stupid? (laughs) I I heard uh, Dave Ramsey uh, say this week that he got a PhD in DUMB. (laughs) I thought that was funny uh, because I have one of those too. The good news about God's grace is that it can restore the things that have broken because of our sinfulness. As we have strayed from God, as we've walked away from God, as we've ignored God, you will blow things up in your life. You will damage relationships. You will hurt yourself and those around you. But God's grace is so powerful. God's love is so powerful that as we return to him, it has the power to restore what's been broken. It has the power to fix our stupid. You know, the old saying, you can't fix stupid? Well, God's grace is powerful enough to do that. The text could not be more clear on what we must do this morning. One, put away our foreign gods. What have you been given your affections to other than God himself? What have you been worshiping? We're all worshipers. The call from the text this morning is to put away foreign gods and to direct our hearts to the Lord and serve him only. The call from the text this morning is crystal clear. It is to repent of sin. It is to put away the things that have wooed you away from God. It is to return to him and serve him only. Gospel Community Church, may we put away the things that have stolen our affections from God. May we return to him wholeheartedly and serve him only. Let's pray. God, we thank you for preserving this text for us, for giving us um, this word, this gospel word here in the text, that when we return to you with our whole hearts, you are faithful to forgive and to lift your heavy hand of judgment and your Uh, hand of wrath. I pray that we would put away our foreign gods, that we would put away the things that steal our affections from you, things like success, things like power, uh, things like lust, um, that we would put away those foreign gods, the things that we tend to worship, things like being praised by colleagues, um, things that often draw our attention away from you. May we put those things away and realize that we must direct the fullness of our heart's affections to you. I pray we would do the hard work of learning our heart and realize our motivations. Would you give us your Holy Spirit in a special and powerful way to reveal those things to us so that we might return to you with a sense of repentance, humility, and a desire to serve you only. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.